Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Moses Nagel. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we bring you a holiday special looking back on the year of Rhythm of Rebellion, the podcast created by Albany's own Taina Asili. In 2023, Taina produced two seasons in collaboration with me and the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. We produced full-length interviews with a long list of brilliant artists and then aired a shorter 10-minute version here on the program on Fridays. Today, we are going to look back on a couple of our favorites, and in the middle, Taina and I will give a peek behind the scenes at the process and motivation for this project. First up is one of the very first podcasts we did together. It's an interview with Native American artist Janita Benali. Let's hear that episode from the very beginning. Engineer, cue the opening music. You're listening to The Rhythm of Rebellion by Taina Asili. Janita Benali is one half of the brother and sister music duo Seahassen. Janita and her brother Clayson Benali have been recording and touring, bringing their empowering music to communities throughout Europe and North America. They are multi-award-winning artists from the Diné or Navajo Nation in Northern Arizona and create an explosive duo of bass, drums, and vocals with a traditional Navajo backbone bridging folk, rock, pop, and punk. Janita grew up protesting with her family the environmental degradation and inhumane acts of cultural genocide against their traditional way of life. I first met Janita many years ago when she was performing in her previous band, Blackfire. It was then that we started to build a beautiful friendship, sharing concerts together, performing on stage together occasionally, and developing a friendship as fellow musicians, activists, and parents. I'm so honored to have her on this show to talk about the music and activism she's working on today. Hi, Janita. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Yat A, I'm so excited to be here. This is, I'm really excited about your new podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's like so exciting to relaunch, and I've always dreamed of interviewing you. Um, you know, one of the things that I love about interviewing friends is that, you know, we have had many years of knowing each other, but when I get the opportunity to ask these specific questions that I've always wanted to know, I really learn something new about you and about our craft that we do as musicians for social change. So it's a real gift to be able to have this conversation with you today. And with that, I, I wanted to ask my first question, which is, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you're at today? Can you tell us a little bit about that history? Well, growing up, I never saw a distinction. I never saw differences between art and life. And when I was really little, I grew up uh, going to protests. I grew up 
at the hems of my grandmother's skirts, carrying protest banners and hearing them speak about the injustices that our people, the Diné, were facing because of forced relocation due to the coal mine that was encroaching upon our land and claiming it as their own and removing over 10,000 of our people, our Diné people in modern history to access coal. So I didn't see a distinction between the two. I learned from a very early age the power of voice from my father being a traditional medicine man and sitting in with him and helping to do singings, which are ceremonies, but in our traditional way, we say singing. And so I recognize the power of voice to heal. I recognize the power of voice to bring awareness from my grandmothers. I recognize the power of voice through art, through my mother, Berta Benali, who is a folk singer and songwriter. So it's always been something that's ingrained with me. Um, when my brothers and I were growing up, we played with each other. Like we either we all wanted to like skateboard together or we wanted to be ninjas together or we wanted to jump out of trees together. And finally, we started a band together. And we realized that utilizing our voices to create music that could hopefully create a positive impact it, it that was that was paramount for us we've been facing so many injustices you know the prejudice and the discrimination because we have brown skin the discrimination because we are indigenous americans the discrimination because people tell us to go back to the reservation not realizing that they were on our traditional homelands that we were had been removed from not realizing the history you know we grew up seeing, feeling, experiencing, and knowing the injustices that existed around us that we were unfortunately experiencing every day. So music became that kind of creative outlet for us. We thought that if we could make songs about these injustices that were happening, maybe that would open people's eyes. And that was with our band Blackfire. After 21 years of playing in Blackfire, um, a lot changed in my life where I became a parent. I unsuccessfully sued the federal government and I sued the federal government with the Save the Peaks Coalition and, and a group of other people to stop the use of reclaimed wastewater that was laden with endocrine disruptors from being utilized on the Holy Mountain. We lost. It was really difficult. And at that same time, there was a rash of youth suicides on the reservation. In one community, there were 11 youth who tried to commit suicide, the youngest being nine. And it broke me. Like all of this, uh, this was all at the same time. This was all in 2012, all within like weeks, you know, losing our court case, hearing about youth um, as young as nine, not having hope in this world. Like that, that just astounded me being a parent. It astounded me um, with all of the, the youth empowerment work that I do with my family, with Black Fire and Sihasen. Yeah. It astounded me. And so... I um, 
realized that I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave a legacy of anger. And that was a really mm. hard decision was like, I've been angry for so long. Like, yeah, you know, losing our court case, realizing that there's no justice in the judicial system was really hard on me. And I, yeah, I feel like at that point I hit this kind of rock bottom in my life. And that's when I decided yeah. I can't be angry anymore. I've spent my mm. entire life being angry and I can't mm. be angry anymore. So what happens next? Where do I go? Who am I without my anger? First of all, I just wanna pause you to say that like, wow, there's so much of your story that I relate to. And I know we haven't even gotten to today yet, but um, you know, just in that turn, I am so curious, where did music and art and that emotion, where did you go next? Well, I it was actually a really big discussion with, with my brother Clayson who's also a parent and we thought, what, what do we do? Cause he also uh, was part of the lawsuit against the forest service. And, and we, we talked about it. We said, what happens after anger? Like we, we could, we felt like there were two roads. One was to continue to be angry, which is, can become a dis-ease, a disharmony. Mm-hmm. And the other is to have hope. And so that's when Clayson and I decided to create Sihasen, our current band, which Sihasen in our language means to have hope, to have assurance, to look at life in a way of rejuvenation, that there is positivity, that there is goodness um, when we look forward. And that's what Sihasen means in our Diné language. It's one of our core philosophies. So Clayson and I decided that we wanted to instead make music that would empower people to become inspired, to create the positive change that they want to see in their communities. And that became Hmm. our focus, which then became my healing too. You know, one of the things that I know about you is that you've been making music in family and in community and one of the things that I haven't gotten to hear from you yet is your particular voice. So I'm, I'm starting to understand it. Like, what is Janita's voice in Sihasen today? You know, the bass is my voice. Um, so I am a survivor of childhood sexual trauma and abuse um, from a non-family member that has been an incredible journey of healing for me. And... Because of that trauma, I was terrified to use my voice. I really did hide behind the the hands of my grandmother's skirts and hold the banners because the banners were my voice at that time when I was young. But when I found the bass, that became my voice because the bass made these, these beautiful sounds, these tones that were pure emotion for me. They, the, the tones were words and, and emotions and phrases that my own, my own voice box couldn't make, that they couldn't say, that I didn't feel safe enough. I didn't feel empowered enough yet 
to talk about. So the mm-hmm. bass, you know, it's it sits it sits right on your belly, on your core, and the vibrations, you know, you can feel it on your abdomen, and it's incredible. And then you've got the bass amp behind you, so you've got that vibration holding you up as well. And so the bass became my voice, and it took a long time for me to even want to sing. I had to learn how to sing. <laughs> mm. I never wanted to sing because I felt so comfortable um, utilizing the bass as my voice because it it was spiritual for me. It was meditation. It was healing. And it still is. Mm. You know, it's interesting because when I think about this shift from Blackfire to Sihasen, you know, one of the things that is important for our listeners to understand is that you don't have electric guitar anymore. It right. You are the front and center of the melodic instruments, right? It's bass, drums, and vocals. And so your bass is really much more, and your, and your singing voice are really much more front and center now. And you are creating magic that is really unprecedented, in my opinion, with the base. Um, what is that like? You know, it's been really incredible to experiment with my base. My, you know, that's my that's my uh, my voice. <laughs> I call my base my husband. <laughs> so to be able to experiment in different ways of using bows, of using um, you know split cabinets, utilizing different effects and such, and it's exciting because. I don't look at playing the bass in a traditional, um, I guess, traditional rock way. I don't know how you say it because I, I think I'm, I'm too much of a punk to want to fit in a box or, in any way. So that's right. So yeah. So I just that's really right. love to experiment and see where where the bass can go, how it can go, what sounds it can make, what other parts of the bass also make sound like. All of this is really, it's fun to me. I want to circle back a little bit to what we were talking about in terms of music as healing that you mentioned. Um, I was thinking about your work as a healer. That's something that I know about you. And I was curious about in what ways can music offer healing to not only ourselves as artists, um, you spoke a little bit to that, but how it can impact healing in our world, impact healing in, our, in the listeners and that ripple effect into the world. Growing up traditionally um, with a Dine Hatathli as a father, which is a Navajo medicine man, Dine is who we call ourselves. That's our true name. I really felt the power of healing through voice. My father, Hatathli, um, Hatathli literally translates to the singer. And when somebody has a ceremony done, they have a singing over them. And your family, your community, the practitioner and apprentices all come together to sing over a patient to restore harmony, to restore balance, that beauty way. So having that deep understanding, that kind of foundational understanding of 
how music is medicine, how music is healing. I find that, you know, that music is this incredible vehicle that we can all relate to. Um, when we are in our mama's wombs, we hear this incredible drumbeat. Her heartbeat is what we get to hear. That's how we grow, is with this heartbeat. We get birthed into the world and we gravitate towards music, towards that rhythm. It makes us move. It makes us feel. It makes us understand particular things about ourselves that we may not yet understand. And even if songs are in different languages, there's this kind of, um, there's this emotion that we feel to them. There's a, a, like a sentiment. I mean, it can bring up a thought. It can bring up an emotion. It can bring up, um, it can create a new memory for us as well. And so I think that within that, music song is really powerful because it, it transcends language. It transcends borders and boundaries. It's that universal heartbeat that we, we grew with. So beautifully put. I also know about some of your work in terms of not only the work that you're doing, bringing this powerful message, bringing this music medicine through your music, but that it's also tied to the justice healing work that you're doing in your community. Um, and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that. Absolutely. Thank you. So. A friend of mine once said, um, my friend Sasha once said, by any creative means possible, that we approach situations and, and things in life. And that feels like it's become a personal motto. <laughs> and um, by any creative means possible, for me, has translated into doing a youth radio show called Indigenous Youth Nation, where we empower youth to learn about their culture, to celebrate culture, to, you know, to help create normalcy of culture, um, to inspire intergenerational dialogue with elders, to nourish that traditional knowledge that exists. And, mm. you know, I want to. I want to just kind of back up and talk about how Indigenous Youth Nation is healing for me. Um, yeah. When the media finally started acknowledging all of the mass child grave sites at boarding schools in Canada, but also here in the United States, um, and that's still slowly coming, um, but in Canada people were so overwhelmed by how could this be happening you know they they it was like it was it was um it's actually i actually find myself getting really tongue tied by the emotional component of the injustices that the children of boarding schools um underwent so it makes it hard for me to talk about which 
was why I knew that I needed to do something, um, that I needed mm -hmm. to do something to help heal, um, whether it's to heal me or whether it's to heal indigenous communities who have been victimized by the boarding schools of um, from their governments where children didn't come home. And so, and the forced assimilation and wow. Yeah. It gets really hard for me to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Which is why um, I created a radio show to celebrate youth culture, youth indigenous culture, mm. to celebrate that we are resilient, that we still exist after all that our people have been through. We still exist. We still have language that exists. We still have culture that exists. We still have this traditional knowledge that exists. But how do we help the next generations to become excited about it? During the boarding school era, there was so much shame that survivors um, lived with and that they still live with for being indigenous, just for being indigenous, for the things that they experienced, for the things that they saw, for the, um, for the traumas that they experienced just because they were an indigenous child. They were taken from their homes they were taken from their communities, their families, and um, told to never go back to their old blanket. They were rotated between three different religions. They were beaten when they spoke their language. Um, they were starved. They, you know, they. Mm. There were so many atrocities committed against these children that um, that I wanted to do something maybe subconsciously, I don't know, to kind of heal the wounds that I intergenerationally feel. Um, mm. The wounds that I know so many indigenous communities feel. And so that's where Indigenous Youth Nation came about, is because we really want to inspire youth to, um, to feel empowered about their culture. I think that's my wow. really long answer, my really long, no, like, emotionally it's, charged answer. It's of, perfection. Um, it's so important. That was Taina Seely in conversation with Janita Benali. For those just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network, WOOCLP 105.3 FM, Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM, Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM, Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM, Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. Now here's me and Taina talking behind the scenes of the Rhythm of Rebellion. Hi, Taina. Hey. Let's see, we're getting close to the end of season three yep. of Rhythm of Rebellion in 2023. We did season two right. in its entirety and most of season three. Yep. 
So we're doing this program as kind of a, a best of of the work we've done. Yep. But we wanted to talk a little bit uh, about how we've done this work and what what's inspired us about the last two seasons. Yeah. I wasn't a part of season one, so this has been new for me this, <laughs> this season. What should we talk about first? Should well, we talk about our process? Or? Yeah, I just want to say like, so to, to kick it off, I started season one, I think it was 2016 is when I kicked that off. Mm-hmm. And that was all on my own, you know, just kind of not knowing anything about podcasting. And then I was like, you know, that was a lot of work. (laughs) I don't think I can hold this all on my own. And then that's when we circled back with season two, um, you know, post pandemic. And I came to you. Then there was was COVID. (laughs) A lot of things happened between. 2016 and the beginning of 2023. Yeah. But it was so fulfilling for me. And so that's when I, you know, reached out to you and Cena and Hudson Mohawk magazine and was like, can we collaborate on this together? So I just kind of wanted to situate everyone in, in that stage of the process. And so this year is season three and I hope to keep it going. And I feel like it's really kind of snowballing and we're sort of getting our grounding in it a little bit. Um, I know that for myself, I'm getting my grounding as an interviewer, as somebody who can ha- hold that conversation. But it's it's been a beautiful learning experience so far. Yeah, I can hear the change in your and the confidence of your interviewing as, as the time goes on too. So the way that we've been working is that you and Gaetano set up the interviews and you do them, I think, most of them have been remote, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you have this nice recording setup yeah. for yourself. You've managed to get pretty good sound out of your interviewees yes. as well. Yes. And then you get some files to me. We we have a little discussion. Mm-hmm. We do the editing. And then we put out a, a full-length version on all the podcast networks and a 10-minute version on Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Right, which you edit so brilliantly and beautifully. I oh, love thanks. those 10-minute edits. Some of the artists are speak so clearly and, and eloquently that it mm-hmm. takes almost no, there's almost no editing required. Others of them, we try to, we like to do a little editing to yeah. just uh, take out all, so, not all, but some of the, um, <laughs> to tell which ahs and ums are for emphasis and, including and, all and of mine <laughs> and which ones could probably go away and, and, and make things a little better listening experience. Yeah. What's been the most sort of inspiring part of this that's keeping you going and keeping you doing all this work? What's, yeah, I you know, I'd say that... What's the payoff? Mm, I think the payoff for me... The, so first, there's a little bit of like sort of a selfish piece of it, which is that I have really wanted to understand the craft of all these folks that I admire and like what are the different tools and what are the stories and the histories that have informed what they do today? And it helps me to think about my own artistry and my own craft of making uh, social change music, you know, and, and art of all kinds. But I know that there are many me's out there. There are many people who are wanting to create art that has an impact. So for me, it's this juicy feeling of like, I get something out of it. And I know that there are so many folks who want to receive that as well that Mm. can can receive that. And I've gotten a lot of amazing feedback from people. Last year, I did a residency with 
uh, Rutgers. So I worked with them for almost a year with students doing social change songwriting. And as part of that assignment, I had them listen to the podcast and they loved it and were so inspired by it. But, you know, as I go around and I teach these workshops at different colleges and universities, this becomes like a really important tool that young people have. Yeah. I like the part about the value for the the people that you're interviewing too and giving them something in a way. I just think just how, you know, when we're when you're engaged in the sort of sweaty business of making art or even journalism reporting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we can have our we all have our disagreements and we're just we're just in it and it's I do really think it's important to give uh, people that are doing such this good work, their flowers yes. now yes. or sooner Word. rather than later, yes. right? Like they deserve it. And yeah. it's nice to just say, this is a big deal. Yeah. You're, you're important. Absolutely. Right? I think also for me, there's a little bit of, it's an answer to the question of what genre am I? Um, you know, I think that I grew up in the punk scene where we had a community and we had this like mutual aid and exchange and and bartering systems. And in years since, I've always wanted to sort of recreate that um, mm. with my genre, right? My community, my, my people of artists, which make all different types of music, right? right? So what is it? But I think it's- scene, it, right? it, The it's scene so is, the artistry yeah. is, the genre is people who are making art for social change, right? Making art to help guide us to be in right relationship with each other and with our earth. And so for me, it's like, it's, it's a part of that building. It's a part of that barter system, that exchange, that conversation. And, you know, I started with people that I knew personally, people who I've worked with, but I've been really excited in these past two seasons to expand out. So, for example, Senia Rubinos, I didn't know. Well, and the other great thing about the podcast, like with the Rubinos episode, I'd listened to that record a lot. And um, there's that thing that happens sometimes when you hear an artist describe their particular process for a particular song or mm-hmm. something that just like builds the connection so much stronger yeah. when you listen to it and for her description of the don't put me in red yes. song and then you know I'd listened to that song I'd yeah. heard it many times but yeah. then having that added context of the way that it reflected her experience Absolutely. really deepened my experience of listening to it and there's there's a lot of examples of that for sure yeah yeah another thing that's been so interesting is that your selection process is artists like you said that are creating for social change Mm -hmm. but it's been so interesting how the ways that they all came to it yeah some of them are clearly musicians first and we're, we're songwriters we're writers and it came into their lives but others were like activists mm-hmm. or uh, Morley was was a dancer and a yeah. choreographer yeah, who yeah, kind of yeah, just yeah, like yeah. stumbled into music yeah. and became a musician and now it's like you can't believe that 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 wasn't their pathway you yeah. know from the start so it's that's true. just been really interesting that everybody comes from all these different starting points yeah. to end up in this kind of, in in your scene yeah I think I always like to start with a little bit of like an origin story because even the people that I know, like I've known Morley for years, but I never knew that there was a time where Morley didn't identify as a singer. Like that thought never crossed my mind. And so it was, it's important for me to remember, like in that example, that though I'm 
have identified primarily as a singer my whole life, it doesn't mean that I can't also identify as a filmmaker, which is like a new aspiration of mine is moving mm-hmm. into that world more. And so, you know, that we can be expansive, you know, and we can come from one direction and hit another. And that's actually what creativity means. Creativity means we create, you know, so we we're constantly inventing and renewing and exploring and that's all a part of it. So, yeah, right. it is really inspiring. When you inspiring. look backwards, it all seems inevitable, mm-hmm. but at the time it can take a big leap. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Another piece that I'm excited to to incorporate into this podcast is the part where I ask people what advice they would give to others, which used to be, there was a time period where I feel like we were getting a very similar, like be your authentic self. Mm -hmm. And there in season three, the answers have been much wider. Mm. I've noticed like there have been some really interesting answers that I never would have thought of before. Was it, was it Beckley who said, don't, be intimidated by you know when people ask you what is this accomplishing or what is it right yeah. what what are the end results yes. just don't get caught up in that yes too much yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. don't let that intimidate you because it can feel like oh. impossible to say but oh. i thought that was a really good it's one. like it's like powerful. water that i need mm. you know it's like that refreshing glass of water like there's been so many times as artists that we feel this pressure to show results you know and it's part of that like capitalistic nature of you know being in an industry where you have to prove your results you know you have to show evidence that you're worthy instead of being like no I'm innately worthy like because I exist I'm worthy and so that's what is different about this versus a music industry podcast This isn't about the music industry this is about something so much deeper than that you know so maybe the last question is uh What's the next step? What's the future? What mm. in your mind? What more could it bring? I think there's like a few goals that I have. Um, one is I want to figure out ways to get larger reach. You know, with the podcast, like where else do people seek these offerings? Like what exists in this podcast? Where are people wanting it, and how can I help to bring mm-hmm. it to those places? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the episodes themselves. So I interviewed Edison Weeks, who's a dancer. And so thinking about por- performing arts, you know, I came at it for, through music because that's my performing art. But I want to expand performing arts um, to include other types of art forms. So we had, for example, Jamila was on on Broadway. And, you know, so there's like the acting element that we brought into it. Edison Weeks with dance. I'd love to just like keep exploring out in terms of the performing arts. So it's not exclusive me- music. And then I would say also continue to be courageous to start to expand that community by interviewing people who I have absolutely no relationship with and and bring them into that community, into that world. And maybe even figure out a way to like, how can we make that network more uh, intentional? You know, so all the different people that I've interviewed, how can we start to weave it together more intentionally? I'm not sure what that would look like Hmm. yet, but it's definitely an intention of mine. Thank you for collaborating with me on this. Thank you. Happy to be on it with you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) Next up is an episode that just came out a few weeks ago. We're going to hear some of Taina's interview with the great musician, composer, and singer, Toshi Reagan. Hi, Toshi. Welcome. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you, Taina. How are you? I am so blessed. It has been such a dream to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm in Brooklyn, New York, kind of getting over a cold. The sun is shining, you know, um, personally well. I'm, of course, heartbroken like everybody else over all mm-hmm. the violence that is happening in the world yeah. unnecessarily. So, yeah, dealing with it that. It is definitely heavy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the things that we center in this conversation is how we can use our music, our skills, our creative facets to be a contribution towards justice, towards liberation, towards healing. So, um, you know, just centering us in that place as we move through this conversation. Mm. Um, I wanted to just start off our conversation by talking a little bit about your earlier history. You have such mm-hmm. a deep, long, beautiful history of life. Um, so I wanted to see if you could share a window into how your upbringing in a family deeply involved in the civil rights movement and guided by the influential work of your mother, Dr. Bernice Johnson Regan, how that helped shape the content and sound of your songwriting today. Hmm. I would just more say it helped shape me versus like uh, the specifics of my songwriting. Um, I was really little. So, you know, uh, a lot of times people think I was in the Freedom Singers or I was in the Civil Rights Movement. And I was like, <laughs> I was a baby. So, you know, so it's uh, it's more just being in a circle of really vibrant, you know, people who were young in their lives of being adults. Um, you know, my parents probably met when they were like 18 and 19. I was born when my mom was 21. So there was a really vibrant community of, you know, aunts and uncles and, and, you know, all kinds of like, just was just very, very, very organic and, and vibrant. And I just, I, I've been held by everybody, you know, it was a real like, here's the baby, like, you know, and I think I was one of the first babies of that like generation of people, um, the first grandchild on my mom's side. So I got to experience what I call now like spiritual Mm. confirmation. You know, I think for my grandparents, me being that next generation after their kids made them feel like they did something right. Mm. Right, like that their sacrifice Mm. was worth it. And I think for my parents, it was like this idea of like growing beyond yourself like not only are you having this responsibility for your contemporary time, but for a future of your own children. And then in both of those communities, there was always music. I was pretty surrounded by music, but also by the comfort of people who looked at you like you were the son. Like they just were really nice to me um, as a baby and as a a young kid and really took care of me, really protected Mm. me. And that is like, that's a feeling I carry with me always is that mm. I'm right. I'm, I'm just mm. right. I'm just great. I'm just like, they told me all the time is I've never let it go. No matter what. I've just been like, I'm these people's wow. child and I'm in my perfect time and I'm in my extension of living. Uh, many of them are dead now. And I feel like I'm a continuation yes. of their spirits. Oh, 
That's so beautiful. What yeah. a blessing. And I love this idea <laughs> of your existence being a spiritual confirmation. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely feel like I can relate to that in some ways for myself and even more so I see it in my children, like that spiritual confirmation. Yes. Um, How did you find your unique voice? I mean, I think I always had it. I don't remember a time where I was like, and now you have your voice. I just had it. Um, A lot of times parents ask me, you know, how do I get my kid? How do I get my kid? But you have kids. So, you know, they come out Mm -hmm. being who they are. And I'm like, don't mess them up. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> you know, like, yes. don't mess them up. Like, they, you know, they yes. need guidance and they need, you know, they need to know yeah. where they are. But I think um, really particularly my mom was just astonished by me. Like, she just, she tells me stories about different things I did when I was really little. Like, she told me that she would use a rap to wrap mm. me around when I was a baby and then I would lean back as far as I could and look at the look Aww. at what's up and she's like yeah you really hurt my side but I felt like you really needed to look at the sky mm. I just never knew why you know I'm still like that um I can't remember too many times when my mom told okay. me to shut up yeah like in a way that that would yeah. be devastating to me I'm sure she did. She didn't play, but I Mm -hmm. don't remember it, which means whatever way she was communicating for me to be quiet was a way that she was saying, you need to be quiet in this moment versus your voice Mm -hmm. does not need to Mm -hmm. be heard. She also communicated really clear that we were, we, I don't know how your family is with music, but with our family, like everybody's musical, like it just, you know, I, this year, but priest did a reading on my families and they said everybody's a priest mm-hmm. or a musician they're mm-hmm. like no matter what they're doing yeah. like all yeah, of y'all yeah. you know so there's a lot of singing people and things and so that that kind of communication yeah. was like regular versus like so I didn't have to discover my voice it was just always there and always around me I think I would use the words like grow or start to get mm. good at something you know, I remember when I started to get good at recording, um, I get good at being a band leader, getting yeah. better at those things, get, learning the craft of different things, um, learning the craft of booking, learning the craft of presenting and producing. Um, those are the things I, I reach for and really intentionally feel like I, I was yes. like, okay, I want to get good and at this. Are. I'm good at this. <laughs> getting a chance to witness it thank you speaking of all the good things you do I wanted to see if we could move into parable you created with your mom Dr. Bernice Johnson Regan parable of the sower the congregational opera based on Octavia E. Butler's novel. And it has such a profound impact. I had the blessing of getting to finally witness it at Lincoln Center. I wanted to see if you could talk a little Mm. bit about your vision behind this work and how you used music and storytelling to create an immersive experience, because it really is very immersive. When I watched it, I felt Mm. like I was really in it and there was so much engagement 
with the audience. So I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about your vision and approach to that. Yeah, sure. You know, the opera really came out of my mom and I's love for Octavia Butler and uh, specifically around the that novel, Parable of the Sower. We gave it to each other for Christmas one year and bought one for ourselves. It was really funny. Um, but probably a turn in the road was um, Toni Morrison asking my mom to teach um, a semester at Princeton for her Princeton Atelier. And my mom not being able to do all the classes and asking me to share like half the classes. And that was, you know, I hadn't read the book yet. This was like back Mm. in 97 or 98. When I bought the book, I read like a page of it and I was just like, I don't want to read this. (laughs) Was it that it was too heavy or was it? The first page, it just felt like it was going to be scary. This is the 90s, right? So the book is like, looking at two, you know, 2024. So it was still far off, but I was just like, I don't want to know what she thinks about the future. She's going to be right. (laughs) You know, one of the interesting things about Parable, I mean, you have the collaboration that's happening in, you know, the belly button, as you put it, the actual performance, but then Mm -hmm. the Parable path that you created, the way that you collaborate with other artists and the way that you bring together people, I think is just so incredible and special. And it seems to be a significant Mm. part of your journey as an artist and as a curator. So I wanted to see what these collaborations, what role they play in your creative process. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, you know, fans of everybody <laughs> working to make the world, you know, be make, working to make us be in alignment better with planet Earth and the universe. I think it's really clear that humanity as a whole is not is not very well um, right now and not very cooperative with the planet and the universe. We're all needing to learn um, these really complex lessons right now you know so i think generational intergenerational dialogue dialogue between cultures of of people is really important so we can keep seeing ourselves in each other and other species on the earth you know i'm like i drive a car i take an airplane flight um i go to restaurants and I know I'm operating in systems that are like now like pretty much out of control because um, many other ways of being collaborative have become like so corporate that, you know, like a hardware store that used to exist is very hard for that person in your community to do it. Things like that. We have this this era of, of humans that are alive right now, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are, no matter what your culture, no matter what language you speak, no matter what your capacity is for existence. Uh, we have such a huge opportunity um, and calling. I think us right now have the most information about the past and past and indigenous technologies that haven't been wiped out or destroyed. And we have 
I think the most grace towards imagining mm. a future. We're in the place where huge things can happen and we can't, and it's mm. so hard to touch them. The day I saw AI be on like every news thing at one time, I was like, oh, they, they had a meeting. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I was yes, like, everything yes. about to change right now. <laughs> and it was like the next day, everything changed. So you don't, you don't even, mm-hmm. you, you're just oppressed already. Like you don't get to be excited about, mm-hmm. you know, oh, this is cute. What can I do with it? You, you simultaneously excited and like, right. they're going to kill me with this, right? right? <laughs> like, you know, and I think that's, I think that's the thing. Like, you know, I really collaborate with people because I want to, I want to learn you know, my contemporary times and I want to learn my past and I want to imagine and guess on the future and I want to participate and be of service to people. And, you know, what I've learned is that, you know, you got to come together for all of that to happen. And yeah, so I always tell people, well, like, do you know one other person? Mm -hmm. That's a group. Yeah. Like, (laughs) you know, like that's, that's a band right there. The two of you, like, you know, you see me and you've been in my circles like everybody they get expensive really quick what advice might you have as a mentor as an educator for other emerging artists who are seeking to use Mm -hmm. their art to address these issues if you have an idea that you want to put forward to do it not to think like any any way that you do it is is like a wrong way like if it's small and intimate it's it's good if it happens to take like a bunch of jumps and next thing you know you're doing your work in these different ways you know your line of integrity around your heart and around your you know life path what i really understand is you know when people come into the world as young little babies and then they grow, they see things different from the generations ahead of them. Like their their snapshot is different. And, you know, as you live, I think you're always grounded in kind of your first snapshots, you know, like with the, the first things that you, um, you know, I'm always grounded by the idea of like these, now what I now understand is young people, kind of making the transition from there being on the front line streets of a civil rights movement and figuring out like how to take care of their families and all these women who went to school like my mom did. And um, I'm so grounded by the, the culture of those communities. It's not that I try to make those communities myself. I'm like really different, but I'm, I'm grounded in that. I know that that exists, you know? And so, uh, I saw so many beginnings of things, you know, just being a queer person, I'm really grounded in like, you know, lesbian separatism in some ways. <laughs> it was so, wasn't my path, but it was so badass. Like, I don't know, people are going to mm. get really offended mm. by it. But if it wasn't around in the 70s, mm. you know, mm. I mean, it was just going to places that would like, you know, never have women doing anything like, you know, like, so it was, it was bad, yeah. you know, so which is not the same as talking about some of the ways that people identify, you know, lesbians who have not been supportive of our relatives in the trans and non-binary um, communities. It's not mm-hmm. the same. 
but I really was like yeah. seeing it was outrageous. It was just outrageous. You know, they were like, we're going to do a show and no men can come. It was outrageous. And it was outrageous to a community mm. of people that always, who didn't make space for women at all. You know, at women mm. or children at all. Mm. Differently able people at all. Like, mm. so once <laughs> they started getting like mm. these tiny places of being told no, it was really interesting. So I, you know, to be like 13 year old seeing, witnessing that really made me understand oppression in a, in a way that, you know, I maybe didn't, um, the no nukes movement when I was a kid, I'm grounded in that. So I think like wherever you, when you, when you have those, those snapshots that like really kind of give you identifying things, then it really like opens up over the course of your life as really why it's important to like have generations that are meeting the moment in the time of, of their youth to tell you what they're seeing and give voice to them because they, they see something different from you in a way different from you. And it's really helpful, really, really helpful. So I just am aware I'm supposed to be available I try to have iterations of 10 years, people younger than me that I'm available for. Like some of them are like, will you mentor me? Will you do this for me? And then some of them, I d just tell me what to do, you know, for them. Right. And I think that's really important. That's a model to me from, you know, it's an indigenous model, especially around growing food is that, you know, you had a place in that in your community. I remember my grandparents, when I would go visit in the summer, she always had little jobs for us, no matter how little we were. They weren't overwhelming. But you know what I mean? Like, go get this, right. go do this, go do that, that, that little jobs. Yeah, yeah. And then, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you're eating like a watermelon that grew. And that's to me an analogy for like how to have wisdom passed down, passed up, passed around to give voice to um, communities and in all of that is creativity. I think that's like, mm. I think that's like really important. It's so important, it for, so important. important. And I'll say one more thing, you know, I think one of the things that's the most heartbreaking around, you know, in particular, the war on Gaza and the war on the Palestinian people is the inability for people to see themselves in these situations. And I think that's what war, war does is it makes you not be able to see yourself so that you can just constantly be like somebody else's deserving of the atrocities. Um, it's an unnatural state of being. And I think it will only lead to more destruction of everybody. And I really hope that we can stop saying okay to things that we would never want to happen to us. Right. We, with all of our strength and creativity and transformational powers, um, transform our governments into thinking that it is ever okay for them to spend the currencies that we have all created together on the demise of a, of a people and on the demise of the planet. Right. You know, one of the things I think about 
in terms of the the magic that is music is addressing that specific piece around not being able to feel you know our emotions oftentimes get churned off and there's like in my opinion there's a lot of different reasons mm-hmm. um some are survival mechanisms art for me is my way of allowing myself to open and an offering for others to open you know we can't take those actions unless we feel we feel the urgency that's right so do you feel that's like right. music helps to do that for you oh yeah I mean, music is helps me do everything. <laughs> shame. I I ain't done nothing but been a musician my entire yes. life. I'm really grateful. I just I'm so grateful. I can't even tell you. It really helps me. I I have very few answers to the state of the world right now. The bad parts, mm-hmm. like I just I'm a little stunned, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest. And I think after working, reading Octavia for so long and researching in real time, like the things that she did looking at her research, just over the years, I'm stunned that we're like doing all the things and plus that she imagined that we would do. Yeah. And that, you know, that it's such a cycle, Mm -hmm. the cycle we're in without some really abrupt and, and, and like, you know, determination to, to stop it activity is like a cycle that will last into the thirties. I think we're like moseying along and, uh, you know, with it, you know, but at some point we have to do like the most daring things. Mm -hmm. I think that that is, I'm I'm just astonished. So whatever I'm doing, I'm going to be singing at the same time. And, um, and I'll be singing with you every chance I get. Oh my God, please. I'm going to call you. Look, I'm going to buy my birthday concerts. That's the next thing that's coming that up. It's a birthday concert. So I need you to come down. I'm ready so. for that call and any call. Anytime you call, I'm ready for it. I'm so yes, grateful uh, to you, Toshi. I love you so much. I love you You're so, so much. Awesome. You are so awesome. You are so brilliant. I always use that word with you, brilliant, because that to me <laughs> is is really the epitome of you. You shine um, so bright and and lift up this world in so many ways with that brilliance. So thank yeah. you. Thank you for your generosity today and always. Always. Thank I'm here so for much. you. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this special episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Moses Nagel. We want to thank Taina and all of the volunteers who made this project possible. You can find The Rhythm of Rebellion at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you find podcasts. And you can find Taina Asili's music on all the streaming platforms. We appreciate you listening. Until next time, so long.